Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you and we ask you to come right now and you'd speak to our hearts and to our minds that you would help us to understand what, what blessings look like from you. Lord, we live in a culture that we are so full of ourselves. We are so full of what we think is blessed. But God, Jesus, as you sat down on that mountain to teach your disciples and those who would listen what blessed actually looked like, it's far, far different. I pray as you walk this journey of the Beatitudes, Lord, that you would be with us, you would speak to us, you would challenge us, and that, Lord, you would transform us into your image. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. We are starting a new series uh, this morning, hashtag blessed, and literally hashtag blessed, question mark. Uh, we are going to be walking through the path of the Beatitudes over the next several weeks. This is going to be probably like a nine-week. I say probably because you know me, right? So um, I think it's probably going to be like a nine-week series, but uh, I'm very interested in uh, the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus did. Now, I want to say a real quick note there. I'm so grateful to uh, Kristen Erb for uh, teaching for me a couple of weeks ago. I've invited Kristen onto a uh, regular teaching schedule with me as well, too. So I'm excited to say that she's accepted that. So um, we're going to have her teaching on a, on a rotation as well, too. When we think about this idea of blessed in our culture, we have a really weird way of thinking about it. Um, if you just go onto social media and you type in the hashtag of blessed, you find different ways of understanding it, right? Everyone says, hashtag blessed. We are all blessed, right? This, per, this couple here is like, you know, we are blessed. Look how beautiful we are. We, of course, blessed. What about this individual here? They, are, they say that they're blessed as well, too. Uh, God, I'm so blessed. I'm so grateful that you're my blessing. I'm blessing for collagen in my lips. I'm blessed for, I, is that, I don't know. How about this guy here? If I had pipes like that, I feel like I would be blessed as well, too, right? Like that. If I had, I would walk around with a tank top as well too, right? This guy is blessed. Some people don't understand how blessed they truly are. And this is the picture that we have. This is my favorite one, of course, right? This guy here. This, this person looks really blessed. I don't know who they are, but they're driving a really big car and he is, he's blessed. We live in a culture where people use this word blessed all the time. But as I was reading through the Beatitudes, as I was reading through the teachings of Jesus, I realized something. Um, I don't know if we know what blessed actually means. I don't know if we actually are using it in the way that Jesus taught it. So when I say to my, when we talk about this series, and before we can actually walk down the path of the Beatitudes, we have to first stop and ask ourselves this question. What does blessed actually mean? You know the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? And Jesus goes through and names eight things that are blessed. But they are the exact opposite of what our culture would say blessed would be. And so before we can kind of journey down that path, we have to first stop and say to ourselves, are we really blessed, right? Are, are, are we really blessed in this world or, or is there another way of looking at it? I came across an author, her name's Kate Bowler. She wrote this really interesting book called, uh, well, I'll tell you what the book is in a second. Um, it's called Blessed. Uh, but she wrote this article, uh, Death, the Prosperity Gospel and Me. She says in the article this, I'm a historian of the American prosperity gospel. Put simply, the prosperity gospel is the belief that God grants health and wealth to those with the right kind of faith. I spent 10 years interviewing televangelists with spiritual formulas for how to earn God's miracle money. Kate Bowler is actually a very interesting individual. I'll kind of give you her credentials in a moment, but she's Canadian. Uh, she teaches in the States at a very prominent university there. And she, in the article, when they're trying to describe her brand of Christianity, she says, I'm evangelical. But then she says, 
that means something different in Canada than it does in America. And I'm like, yeah, amen to that, sister. So uh, she wrote this whole article, and she, it's a very fascinating article because it really talks about uh, this idea of blessed. One of the prosperity gospel's greatest triumphs is its popularization of the term blessed. Though it predated the prosperity gospel, particularly in the black church, where blessed signified affirmation of God's goodness, it was prosperity preachers who blanketed the airways with it. Blessed is a shorthand for the prosperity message. We see it everywhere from a TV show called The Blessed Life. She says this, blessed is a loaded term because it blurs the distinction between two very different categories, gift and reward. It can be a term of pure gratitude. Thank you, God. I, have, I could not have secured this for myself. But can also imply that it was deserved. Thank you for me. Uh, thank you. Thank you, me, for being the kind of person who gets it right. It is a perfect word for an American society that says it believes the American dream is based on hard work, not luck. So this is, uh, this is Kate Bowler. She is the assistant professor of history of Christianity in North America at the Duke Divinity School. This is her book. This is on my summer read list uh, to take a look at it. Uh, what's interesting about Kate is that in 2015, Kate was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. So what's interesting, and that's the reason why the article was, was uh, uh, titled uh, Death, the Prosperity Gospel of Me, is because she wrote this book called Blessed, and she was looking at the prosperity gospel of what it looked like and how people understand this idea of blessed. And then she found out in her own life that she was given, which almost amounts to a death sentence. She's married. She has a young child. And the whole article, her whole uh, blog posts are about this idea of understanding this, this problem, this, this disease that she's dealing with. I think this concept of blessed is very important for us to understand. We use it so often, and probably without even thinking about the implications. But people in our, world, in our culture today, they're blessed. We talk about it all the time. I showed you uh, a couple of posts about it, and those are comical. But one of the things I have to say is that, is our understanding of blessing nothing more than thinly veiled narcissism? Um, is, our, is it our way of telling the world that God loves us because look how much stuff, beauty, vacations we have? Is this what we understand as blessed? I am blessed because I feel great. I'm healthy. I'm good looking. I'm on the beach somewhere. There's, a, there's a, hardly any filters on me. And, and I, I look great. Or am I blessed because, you know, look at my body or look at my clothing or look at the stuff. Look at this car that I own. I am so blessed. Is that what blessed really is? And I would say to you that without realizing it, people would say, yes. I kind of think that is what blessed is. Right? I... Um, I think it'd be kind of interesting if we uh, woke up in the morning and took a picture of our bedhead, blessed, right? You know, I'm, best at my, I'm blessed that my hair actually sticks in different directions or, you know, that I have hair. Uh, sorry, Chris. Um, uh, like, is, is this what we think of when we think of the word blessing? When you look in the Bible, blessing is actually a very interesting term because it actually means something different. In the Old Testament, blessing in the Old Testament is a covenantal and focused on Israel as a nation, we can misuse those passages when we forget the entirety of what God is promising. So, for example, what I mean by that is that when God blesses people in the Old Testament, it's part of a covenant relationship. Now, a covenant relationship is like, and again, I've tried to teach you what that meant to the Israelites, but it's like a sacred oath. It's something that was legally binding, but it was also spiritually binding as well, too. So in the Old Testament, when we talk about this idea of blessed, it, it actually kind of falls in this category. So this passage of scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, it's used quite often because it's, it's, it's a great verse because it says this, 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, just to be clear, this is a fantastic verse. But is it saying what you think it's saying? And the only way you'll actually know that is actually maybe read the chapter. So, for example, you look at verse 1 of Jeremiah 29. It says this. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Why is this important? Because our tendency to pluck a verse and apply it to ourselves is okay, but we have to first say, what was God actually saying with this verse? Because the prosper part is the part that goes, ooh, God wants to prosper me. Maybe not in the way you think. Because when God first spoke this, he was speaking to Israel during the Babylonian exile. People were turning back from it. And look what he says uh, in verse 14. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This verse is not about you or prosperity. It's about God saying to Israel, I will bring you back from Babylon, and I will reestablish Israel. So when you understand that, we kind of go, we, ha- we have to be a little more hesitant about applying verses directly to our own lives. Because we like what they say to us, but is that actually what they're saying to us? And when we think of the idea of blessed, we can kind of get this tendency to think that this is talking about us. So Jeremiah 29, 11, can, you can use it, you can tattoo it, you can do whatever you want with it, but you first have to say, God is speaking to Israel. He's speaking to a certain time, to a certain place, and to a certain context. And when he says the prosper peace, he's saying you're going to come back from Babylon, you're going to reestablish your kingdom, and I'm going to raise you back up again as a kingdom. This is what the verse means. And so we have to always make sure that we take the scriptures in context before we take it out of context. The terms for blessing abound in the Old Testament, occurring over 600 times. The major terms are related to the word meaning to kneel, since in earlier time one would kneel to receive a blessing. So when you look at the Hebrew word for blessing, it's literally getting on your knees in front of somebody as they bless you, anointed you with oil or, or blessed you. We see this time and time again in the Old Testament. But the interesting part of blessing was is that there is a submission to something greater. So, for example, when David, who was anointed king, uh, uh, came before Samuel the prophet, he kneeled. He was receiving a blessing from Samuel to become king of Israel. But that blessing came from somebody greater than himself. And before he could become king, he had to kneel before this person, this individual. We see this again in the scriptures as well. When people were blessed, that blessing came from someone greater than themselves. So however you understand blessing, there is a submission piece to it. There is a kneeling before, before you can understand that. So blessing is not just that. In the New Testament, however... The emphasis is more on spiritual rather than on material blessings. As I have said before, the transition between the Old Testament and the New Testament moves from Israel as a nation to the Gentiles. Remember we talked about in Acts chapter 15, this occasion called the Council of Jerusalem, where basically the conversation is this. Okay, up to this point in time, Christianity has been a Jewish thing. But now Gentiles are are coming to faith in Christ, and we don't know what to tell them about our, 
our, our covenant laws, our food laws, all these things. How do we help them understand it? And so this Acts chapter 15 is this great conversation of what do we do with Gentiles? And because most of us here are Gentiles, it's like, okay, that's actually a great conversation. Well, when we see that, we realize that Jesus and God in the, in the New Testament moves this idea of blessing from something tangible to something different. And that's important because that's how Jesus starts off the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Matthew 5, to ch- Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' first time to tell everybody about how he views God. The Sermon on the Mount is probably the most difficult passage of Scripture to read in the entire Bible. Because nobody reads the Sermon on the Mount Mount and says, I love this. This is fantastic. Because it says something like, oh, by the way, if you look at a woman lustfully, you should pluck your eye out. Every guy here would have like an eye patch on or, you know, like like it, it would be over. Or... If you, if, you, if you yell at somebody in anger, you've, you've, you've murdered them. You'll be guilty of murder. It's a little harsh, right? And, and, and goes on, right? So Jesus goes from the surface level of religion to the deeper level of the heart. And he says, you have, you have used religion as a mask to, to kind of hide the darkness that's inside of you. Well, God knows it's there. Let's deal with that as well, too. This is how Jesus starts off his ministry. Remember I told you that Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven as his primary way of understanding how, how we interact with God. So when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, it's not a fun scripture to read because, like I said, when you read it, you realize that Jesus takes this standard of holiness and just elevates it, right? People were using religion, right? The 813 Hebraic laws that the Jewish people lived under. He took those 813 laws and destroyed them and added like a whole level that could not even possibly, uh, any human being could even come close to. Jesus even says to the listeners, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you, you, won't, get to the king, you won't get to God. And they're all sitting there going, how is that even possible? Right, the keepers of the law, these people, how am I going to be more holy than them? But the point, was, the point wasn't that Jesus was saying, listen, I want you to be perfect. The point was, Jesus was trying to say, that stuff that you hide, that you think nobody knows, your Father in heaven knows. And that's the stuff that I want to deal with in order to understand what the relationship looks like. So when we talk about blessing, I think there's three things we need to say about blessing in the Bible. The first thing we have to say is blessing isn't stuff. It's not stuff. James chapter 1, verse 25. Uh, now, the book of James is a very practical way of looking at faith. And, and if you are struggling with this idea of like, how do I understand my faith in the world today? The book of James, James, the younger brother of Jesus, is a fantastic book to read. Now, look what James says in James 1.25. But whoever looks intently to the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. James is very, very interested for some reason, and we don't know why quite, because we don't have James's full story, but James is very interested in saying, listen, it's not just about what you say, it's about what you do. James tried very hard to match up speech with action. So he, he does this in a way through the book of James that's fantastic. So he starts off by saying, You'll be blessed in what you do, right? And so James is saying, make sure you understand. Don't just say it, do it. Now, there is a reason why James does this. James was, um, for the best way you can say it, he was the bishop of Jerusalem. Now, 
James was kind of a leader in the early church, and Jerusalem was his parish, for, for, to use kind of a, a language that makes sense, right? So James was there. And so in Jerusalem, obviously, he was teaching his, his church, his, his congregation were Jewish people. And they understood this idea of law and, and, and religion. And so James is saying, listen, don't just praise God. Don't just sing songs of worship, but let it emanate from your heart, right? Like connect what you do and how you behave together. But now look at this in James chapter 5. James now says this. Now listen, you rich people. He might as well just say North Americans. He might as well just say those who have more than $200 a month in income, right? Because that's what separates us from the 80% of the globe. Now listen here, you rich people. Weep and wail because the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, uh, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened, your, uh, your, uh, fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. What's James saying here? And please hear me very clearly here, okay? James is making sure that, they, that the, the, the church in Jerusalem, but also the larger church abroad understood that money wasn't a blessing. It's a test. And I need you to be, hear me very clearly on that because when it comes to church and money, people, people get really uncomfortable. Right? Like your wealth or your lack of wealth, it's a test. What you do with it. See, the funny thing in about money is that what you do with it, no one tells you what to do with it. Well, maybe your parents or, or your, your bank or you got to pay your loan, you know, that may, and that may be a piece of it. But the, ra- the reality is it's a, it's a test from God. So, when people look at wealth, they say, look, look, look how much money I have. I must be blessed. God's like, not as much as you think. It's more of a test of your heart. Right? So whatever blessing it is, there's a constant theme throughout the New Testament of it's not stuff anymore. We move past the I'm blessed with health, I'm blessed with wealth, I'm blessed with looks, I'm blessed with prosperity, I'm blessed with uh, influence. He, the Bible says, you know what? All that doesn't matter anymore. Right? So whatever blessing is, however you understand blessing, you must first make sure you understand it's not stuff, it's not health, it's not your vacations, it's not your selfies, it's not your makeup, it's not your hair, it's not your clothing, it's not your shoes, it's not your electronic devices. And all the other things that um, North Americans elevate to show God's favor in their lives, God would say, that's not blessing. It's a test on what you do with it. So the first thing is that blessing uh, isn't just stuff and health. The Bible does tell us, though, the blessing is Jesus. There is no greater blessing than Jesus. He's not just a person, but he's a path. He's also our future. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 13, says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and, live, uh, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the Blessed hope. What's a blessed hope? The appearing of the, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what, what are we seeing here? And this is, again, a constant theme throughout the New Testament. Is the greatest blessing you will ever receive? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. However you understand blessing, however you understand this idea of blessing in the world today, it's Jesus as in God's terms, that's the best blessing you'll ever get. And this is why, and hear me very clearly, this is why churches around the world that have way less than we do are equally blessed than us. Why? Because they have Jesus. 
they have Jesus. Jesus is our blessing. He's not just a person. He is a person. He's our Savior, right? The language we sung about this morning. And again, as I say to you every Sunday, not every Sunday, but as I say to you on a constant time basis, don't just sing the songs, listen to the words. Don't just say them, right? You, you sing the song Amazing Grace, right? Like, do you, um, does the truth of that song penetrate your heart? Like, like the, the guy that wrote that song was a, a, a slaver. He transported slaves, right? He, 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 like, like, this is a person that, to us, there's no way God could save them. But one day he encounters Jesus. And his faith goes from just a religious, societal thing to the reality that these slaves that he was trading are human beings, and they're beautiful, and they're made in God's image. And he devotes his life to the, the abolition of slavery. He, he devotes his life to, re, to repaying and repenting of what happened. And he writes a song called Amazing Grace. Because Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Why is it sweet to him? Because he never thought it could ever be given to him. A person like him. Think of the worst person you could think about. Drug dealer, um, violence, terrorist, whatever, whatever, whatever individual in your mind that you have as, as the worst in our culture. Grace is available to them. And so when he sings that song, when he writes these words, when he pens that words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Blind, but now I see. Right? So he encounters Christ, but he encounters Jesus, not just as a, oh, I know Jesus. He's this mythological creature, or he's this person that was a great rabbi. No, 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 no. He's Savior. He's God. He's above and beyond what we understand. And so whatever you understand about blessing, you can look at the pictures of other people, hashtag blessed, of of a vacation, of clothing and all that. But if you have Jesus, you are blessed. And the final piece about blessing that you need to understand is that blessing is from the spirit. If blessing isn't physical, then it must be something other. Ephesians 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, what? Blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Wealth isn't blessing. Looks isn't blessing. How many friends you have isn't blessing. The car you drive isn't blessing. And you can say amen to that, right? All these things are not blessing. What is blessing? Blessing is this supernatural, spiritual state of being that we as Christ followers, we get to participate in. Look what he says in verse 13. And you were also including Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, what? You were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. At Uptown Community Church, we talk about this idea of uh, inviting, plunging ourselves into the Holy Spirit, the life of the Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit's reign in our lives that transforms us, that changes us, that convicts us. It, um, it applies grace to us. It's, he speaks to us. He does all these things. This is life in the Spirit. This is blessing. The Holy Spirit is what he, is, is coming to your life. And we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, all these things we, we, we just kind of offhandly throw out there. This is the blessing that God has for us. Right? This is the blessing that God has for us. So you see how it's changed. So Paul the Apostle, one of the greatest writers in the New Testament, writes many of these letters. And uh, he tries to help the churches out there 
understand what it means to be a Christ follower. Because you have to remember, Paul is going to in Gentile cultures, and he's trying to help them understand about, you know, Christ, Jesus, his resurrection, his godhood, all these things. But he's in a culture where they have Greek deities like, you know, Zeus and Hermes and all that. And they have also Babylonian deities. Like, he is talking about religion to people who don't really have a Jewish background. So time and time again, he's trying to help them to understand what it means to be a Christ follower. In 2 Corinthians, he has a really interesting way of talking about it. It's a very famous passage of scripture, but I want to point a couple of things out to you. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 12. Yes, lots of words. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Stop there for a second. Just to be clear, you don't put treasures in jars of clay. You put them in something metal or something strong. You put them in stone or steel or, 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 or iron or, or something that can protect. A jar of clay, you know, not as protective as you would like, right? But he says something very interesting. He says, listen, there is a treasure inside of this fragile container. The metaphor, of course, is us. I'll go on. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Um, you were singing along. I, just, I knew you were. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Okay, hear that very clearly. What's he saying to the church in Corinth? Everywhere you go, this idea of Jesus' death and resurrection, it's inside of you. See, what's interesting about early Christianity and Christianity amongst all other religions is we focus in on defeat and sacrifice rather than victory. And Paul is trying to help them understand that. He's like, listen, okay, you walk around and you carry around with you the death of Jesus. Why is that so important? Because without the death of Jesus, you don't have a relationship with God the Father. You have no access to heaven. That moment with Jesus died on the cross was a pivotal moment in all of human history. It opens the way to God, to, the, to life in the spirit. All of the stuff he talks about, he's trying to help them understand. This is what's important to you. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that his life may be also revealed in our mortal body. How is it God is glorified in our suffering? Does that make any sense? Because... We are taught, and we are taught from a very young age, that if you do well in school, you get good grades, and people love you, and you get a good job. And every young adult here is like, oh, that's a lie, right? So like that, that's not going to happen, right? We, we have been taught to perform, and right or wrong, that's just the way it goes. We've been taught to perform. And we've been taught as well, too, that our accomplishments kind of tell us how good we are. That we, we, we do good things, people praise us, you know, and, and that's great. We, 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 we uh, write a book, we, we, we do a funny post, or whatever it be. People love us. But look what Paul's saying. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be also revealed in our mortal body. The death Paul is talking about is the greatest death that can happen in our lives is the death of our egos. The death of our agendas. The death of what we think is important. That's the death Paul's talking about. And he's saying, listen, the only way Jesus can become alive in you is that you must decrease, he must increase. And that's, uh, that's an act of submission, that's an act of humility, that's an act of all these things, and things that we fight against. We want self-glory. We want people to think that we're fantastic. We want things to be great. We want to show everybody how much stuff that we have. 
And Paul says, you know what? The way God is glorified in you is that when you die to yourself, you die to this control that you have in your life, right? I've said this before and I say it again. Control is an illusion, right? Your future, your health, your relationships, your finances. Spoiler alert, you don't have any control over them. Yes, you can say it. Yes, you can do all these things, but something can come along and knock you off your feet. And you know that. So Paul's saying that how we respond, how we react to these type of things is what glorifies Christ in us. And he goes on to say this in um, verse 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is, on, what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Do you see the transition? The transition isn't, I'm here to prosper you. Right? Remember we talk about this? Uh, and again, forgive me for referencing other sermons that I've mentioned in the past if you were visiting with this morning. They are all online. But we talk about at Uptown Community Church this, uh, this idea of outcome-based faith. Right? We talk about this idea of saying, hey God, I want this. And ooh, look, it happens. That's not how it works. We pray, we can ask, but really what God will do, he will do. And we submit ourselves to that, right? What Paul is saying here is very important. That he says, listen, outwardly, things may not be going great. Kate Bowler, fourth stage colon cancer, right? Kate Bowler, a professor at Duke University, successful book. Her next book is on uh, interviewing um, uh, wives of pastors of mega churches. I'm really interested to read that one as well too and then when it comes out, right? Successful in her career, but all of a sudden she gets a diagnosis from a doctor. She had stomach pain. She was just feeling weak and, and tired all the time. She goes to the doctor thinking it's a cold, it's something else. Stage four colon cancer. Her life then becomes something different. Now, she's a Christ follower and she loves Jesus and her writings and her blog posts, it, it points to that. So the good news is she is blessed. Not physically, but she has Jesus. And that's what sustains her in this moment. And so when we talk about this idea of blessed, as we enter into this path of blessedness, we have to realize that we have to transform our understanding of it. So I showed you four pictures of people who were blessed and we can make fun of them and all that. And I did, and I will again. Um, I want to show you four other pictures of how the Bible looks at blessed. Uh, this is a picture of a church in Rwanda. Uh, of course, you know with Rwanda, this country in Africa that uh, had years and years of violence and, and atrocities and, and, and civil war and violence. This is a picture of uh, the, the, the congregation finally coming back into the church after years of not being in it. This is a picture of the first service they had in the church. You can see there's no roof. You can see there's nothing there, and they're just gathered around, and they're praising God once again. Why? Because there's peace now, uh, peace enough so they can meet in this church. They would never go near this church when violence was. Why? Because the uh, uh, people who would commit violence would use this as a base. Those people are now gone. This is hashtag blessed. The ability to come together once again and to celebrate Christ and, 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 and to celebrate what Jesus wants. This is a picture of the Chinese underground church. This is a Bible study group. They're, they're, this group comes together and groups like this, thousands of other groups like this throughout China come together. And what, you know what they do? They study the Bible. 
And not just study the Bible as, you know, like I, I read, you know, this two verses in the morning on my app and it's great. They take notes and they talk about it. And they're like, what does this mean? How can I apply this to my life? Like this is, this is vital Bible study that is transformative. But just this very act could get them thrown in jail. This very act could have their lives taken from them if they are caught. Hashtag blessed. These people are blessed. Why? Not because of what the government treats them, not because of how the world looks at them, but because they have Jesus. They have the word of God. This is what blessing looks like. This picture is of the church in Egypt during Good Friday that was bombed. A bomb was placed in the front pew and I think it was like 26 Christians were killed. This is a picture afterwards of the charred remains of the Bible there and other things. 26 people that day went to church to celebrate Good Friday. Which is, again, for Christ followers, it's our high holiday. It is a sacred moment for us. And in Egypt, Christians have been persecuted, are persecuted. But these people were brave enough to say, you know what? I don't care what the majority of the government says or or the religion says around me. I'm going to go and I'm going to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then they go and this bomb explodes. And 26 of them, and again, if I'm getting that number incorrectly, please forgive me. Their lives are taken because of this act of violence. But according to what the Bible says, these people are blessed. Because that's how God views it. Don't, hear me very clearly, I'm not saying this is fair or this is nice. But I am saying in God's eyes, how we understand blessing is different than how the world does. These individuals here, this church, which is persecuted, what does the Bible say? Blessed are those who persecute you. Blessed are when you are persecuted on my sake, on my behalf, because of my name. This picture here is from um, a church in Pakistan, close to where I was born. Violence portrayed against the Christ followers there. You're seeing a pattern here around the world today. Christians are persecuted, not just in a we hate you type of social media way that we get, the the kind of wussy way that we get. But their lives are actually taken from them. This is a picture that was taken of of obviously the blood of of what took place there, the violence. Um, A group of people from a different religion came in with uh, machetes and axes and just attacked the congregation. The Bible tells us something very interesting. The Bible tells us that these people are blessed. See, this is not the stuff that we think about when we think about blessing. We think of, again, vacations, homes, wealth, prosperity. But when you look at blessing in God's eyes, it is absolutely different than how we understand it. And when we start saying the Beatitudes next week, you will see the upside-down kingdom. And there's a reason why Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount with these eight blessings. Because he's trying to help you understand something, help us understand something. That each beatitude is a step. It's a path. And that when you get to the eighth one, that that is what Christ's transformation looks like. The early church would actually use this as ways of, of discipleship. And, and, and people who were being discipled in, in the faith, they would use the Beatitudes as eight steps, eight stages, eight progressions that need to happen within 
the believer's life in order to understand what Christ wants. Let me close with this passage of scripture from uh, James. Look what James says. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised those who love him. Blessed is the one who perseveres. This is what a blessed person looks like. This is what blessing looks like in God's eyes. I know the world doesn't understand it, but the real problem is when Christians don't understand it. And all what we think about is blessing, and we think about blessing as what God has given to us. Interesting about James writing this is that James was, shortly after this, he was killed. He was martyred for the faith. We believe that in Nero's persecution, uh, James, Peter, and Paul were all killed in that persecution within a seven to eight year period. I mentioned this to my uh, city group on Friday night, I believe. James writes this, but doesn't realize that he's going to live this. Every disciple, except for John, was, their life was taken from the early church. You read about what was done to them. And not just to these disciples, not just to the apostles, but to men, women, and children who dared to proclaim the name of Jesus. But the Bible tells us something. The interesting thing about all these deaths, it didn't dissuade people. It actually made people go, oh, if you're willing to die for something, face persecution, face being ostracized from culture, then whatever that is that you believe must be true. Because no person in their right mind would do this unless it was true. And it didn't take people away from the church. It actually added people to the church. And that's what blessed really is. The blessed life that God wants for us is not about how much we have, how beautiful we are, and all the other things I've mentioned time and time again. The blessed life is how we endure this world that we live in. How we stay pure as what God would have for us. A holiness that he has given to us. And that's what this path is. And that's what this series will be about. Is how do we understand blessings in God's way. So next week when we come together, we're going to look at this scripture verse. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? How did the church understand it? And why is this the first step that Jesus has for us to understand blessing? Let's pray. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, we do this every week. I just want to give you space to think, to ponder, to pray maybe even. Without realizing it, many of us have adopted language that perhaps may not be as wise as it could have been. What does it mean to be blessed? How do we understand God's blessing? Blessing in our culture is really just another word for narcissism. And maybe this is also why people have such a hard time understanding their relationship with God. I'm blessed when I have things. I'm not blessed when I don't have things. I'm blessed when I have a paycheck. I'm not blessed when I don't have a paycheck. I'm blessed when I'm healthy. I'm not blessed when I'm unhealthy. These are just bizarre ways of understanding God. And yet we adopt them, yet we listen to them, yet we think about them every day. Jesus has a different way of looking at blessing. And when he teaches 
the Sermon on the Mount, when he teaches the Beatitudes, this blessing, this list that he gives us, it's to transform our eyes from this world and seeing what's around us to seeing what is before us. And on this life, in this life, on this planet, on this earth, you will have problems. You will have heartaches. You will have things that happen to you by your own actions or actions of others. But if you can remember in those circumstances, in that moment, that you are blessed not because of what's happened to you, but because you have Jesus, then you realize that there's nothing this world can do to take that away from you. Whether you are in prison for your faith, whether you are, and again, whatever in circumstance you could think about, we are blessed when we are blessed because of Jesus and what he has provided for us, regardless of what we have on this planet. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that your blessings are ours. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would speak to us and you would help us to understand what your blessing looks like, what true blessing looks like. And God, for some of us who perhaps may, without realizing it, have been looking to your blessing as your approval of um, our possessions and how we live our lives, God, I just pray you'd forgive us for that. And that you would transform us, you would elevate our gaze to you where all blessing comes. I thank you, Lord, that even this morning we are taking our gaze from this community of Waterloo Kitchener, wherever we're from, and we're gazing it to, this, to the world around us, to the globe that we live on, and realizing that brothers and sisters around this world, they are persecuted in a way that we can't even understand, but they are blessed. Not because of what's happening to them, because of the truth they hold within them. And I pray, God, that that would be ours as well, too. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your compassion. And I pray, Lord Jesus, you would speak to us through the series. Change us and transform us in Jesus' name. Amen.